0: Welcome to the Messy Middle podcast and radio show, presented by Mother and Founder Co. Each month, guests are invited to share their version of the messy middle and the lessons they've learned along the way. Whether you're in the messiness of growing a business, healing from trauma, or navigating the wild world of parenting, this show is a must. We are excited to celebrate the messiness of life and business with you. And now, let's settle in as host Jen Burwell Connects us with today's guests.
1: I am so excited to have my two guests today. It is a different show than we typically have here. At Mother and Founder of the Messy Middle, but it is a really important one. And I could not think of two better guests to share uh, <laughs> some great stories. So today on the podcast, we have Philip LaCroix. Hi. Hello, um, who's author and also a knight at Medieval Times. So we might have to wow. ask a second about that. I've got wow.
2: permission. <laughs>
1: oh, that's <laughs> nice. good. That's good. <laughs> Shouldn't have told us that. Yeah. Um, and we also have Brett Burwell, who Hello. is the chief vibes officer. That's right. um, um, at Douglas and Douglas, who also happens to be my husband.
3: Yep, the luckiest man around. I've the love in the air, man. I'm feeling it.
1: <laughs> There's enough. And not for just all you of and us. me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I have been begging Brett for a year. Um, to come on this podcast, and he refused. And then I told him about Phil and all the cool things he's working on, and he is here. So You just say
3: Medieval Times and you got me. Oh, sweet.
1: There we go. So I always like to start the show with just a little bit of background, like to share about yourself, where you came from, how you got here in a short amount of time. So, um, Phil, let's start with you.
2: Like you said, I've been a knight from Medieval Times. I started back in— 2008. I got into it because I needed a job when I transferred to Cal State Fullerton, and it was originally just supposed to be a job to help me get through college. But I graduated with my bachelor's in theater in 2011 and just kept going because it's too much fun. Mm -hmm. I have so many stories, and you got to reel me in or else we'll take (laughs) up the entire time. (laughs) Good.
1: Brett, tell us about you.
3: Yeah, originally from Long Island, New York. Uh, Moved to Indiana when I was a kid and talk about a culture shock there. So after like seven years complaining about living in Indiana, we moved here to Arizona and I went to uh, high school in Scottsdale, Saguaro, the best football program in the state. Uh, And then (laughs) (laughs) went to the uh, Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences, graduated from there and tried to get into the music business, did some interning in Brooklyn and then gave up that dream and went into the boring world of finance for a decade had a mental breakdown and then decided to start my own media production company so that's how I got here
2: go you
1: yeah yeah and we're gonna get into all of that, that was a very high-level overview. Um, So today, I want to talk about mental health um, as a topic and just your guys' experience. And then, Phil, I know you wrote an incredible book um, that I was just talking to our mutual friend this morning about, and just how excited she was talking about the story and just the adventure that your character goes on um, is incredible. But I want to start with just when we talk about mental health, what does that look like for each of you? um what is what point what comes to mind when we say that that word cuz it is like a buzzword right so what comes to mind
2: when you talk about mental health at least for me um a big thing is like i know this is going to sound weird but i'm an extroverted introvert like mm-hmm. people will look at me especially if they come see the show when mm-hmm. i tell them i'm an introvert they're like no you're not and <laughs> a big thing that i learned from one of my teachers tracy williams was that you can't argue with how people feel mm-hmm. i mean you can think all you want, you don't know what's going on inside that person. Mm -hmm. And for me, like there's a lot of, there is a lot of struggle, especially because like I, I push myself to go out there and, you know, experience life, but I still need to draw back and recharge my Mm -hmm. batteries because like, I mean, when I moved out here, I was telling you earlier that I was living in North Phoenix in my own tiny house in the mm-hmm. middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I knew before I moved out here is like, I have to get out of my comfort zone or else I'm going to turn into a hermit. <laughs> no. and like what we're talking about, the my main character, he has to deal with a lot of isolation issues and it really mm-hmm. plays with his mind. And uh, I got a lot of inspiration from real life to hmm. add yeah. into that.
1: So, so talk to me a little bit about the isolation I think is such a key part of people's mental health journey or when we start to feel, um, when things can be hard and, you know, we've all experienced an event, right? COVID in, in 2020. Mm-hmm. And, and for you being a night, I mean, I don't think there were shows for a while, right?
2: No, but, um, they were only closed for about three months, but here's okay. the thing, uh, <laughs> literally right before COVID started, I guess I still am a very stubborn uh, horse trainer. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day I was a little too stubborn. I was on a uh, very, very high scale horse and he was just rearing and rearing and rearing. And I was too stubborn to get off. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to ride this out. But one time he reared up and he lost his balance and he fell over backwards on top of me. And my my left knee was, uh, he landed on it in such a way Mm. where it bent sideways. Oh yeah, gosh. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, <laughs> no. Not a good time. But uh, I end, I eventually uh, got reconstructive surgery with that. It's much better. But while I was in you know, lockdown, mm-hmm. I was also recovering from that injury mm-hmm. as well as writing this book. Believe it or not, that was the easiest part because we were in lockdown. So I'd wake up. Once I got the blood flowing, I'd sit down. I'd write for at least 2,000 words. And then I'd go on with the rest of my mm-hmm. day.
1: Hmm. I've I've heard that from a lot of artists, authors, creators. Is like in some ways, COVID gave us permission to get back to like our passions that we wanted to. Because for so many people, didn't couldn't do what they normally did. So that's that's really cool. Like that you had that time and space. In an unfortunate
2: way that uh, well, I mean, it was a very it was a blessing in disguise because yeah. I mean, I love my company. They did everything they could to support us, but eventually, you know, reality set in and they had to let a lot of workers go. But because mm. I was on workers' comp, they couldn't mm. let me go. Oh, life. So, high. <laughs> life. High. I I was being well taken care of throughout mm-hmm. the entire process and uh, very grateful for that.
1: That's awesome.
2: And the horse and I, we we share no ill will towards <laughs> each other. So do you still work
1: with that horse? Oh yeah,
2: he's still there. Does he, the do you think he you,
1: remembers though? that
2: incident? Like, do you, oh no, no, he does not. He does like it was a blip in the radar for him. As not soon yet. as he came, he got up, everything was back to normal for him. Hmm. What were your injuries at Did you have like a torn ACL? Every mm-hmm. ligament was oh, basically God. destroyed. Actually, for a while, uh, they wanted me to kind of like walk it off, and um, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I literally can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I was walking, but I couldn't. I couldn't do more than that. And not medieval times, but the insurance companies—they were getting kind of mad that I wasn't getting cleared. And, and I'm like, guys, I, I can't <laughs> do more than the I have wall. one leg right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so they're like, okay, fine. What we're going to do is we're going to get you a third party to check it out, make sure like what's going on in there. And if uh, whatever they say, if you, they say you still need physical therapy, we're gonna give you not only physical therapy, but the best one we know of. It's gonna uh-huh. be like a harsh five day training, like for hours on end. And I'm like, you know what? This is lockdown. I got nothing better to do anyway. <laughs> so we went to go see that doctor and he starts messing around with my leg and he does something and the entire lower half of my leg shifts off, like, like not like off, off, but like it like yeah. dislocates. And I look up at him and I go, that's not good. (laughs) He's got, like, this is a doctor, and his face, like, bleeds white and goes, goes Your PCL is done. So I basically had everything but the meniscus. Like, I have cadaverous portions in there now. Mm -hmm. So I have my original meniscus, but every, all the other tendons and ligaments, they're all, wow, they're all new. Well, slightly used. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my
1: gosh. That I cannot even imagine. I've heard knee. knee things are one of the most painful injuries.
2: So. Oh, I mean, morphine didn't help, but it wasn't like it wasn't like I'm going to die pain. <laughs> That's good. I
1: think <laughs> you yeah. might have a high threshold of pain.
2: Well, yeah. <laughs> well, he's a knight. He's a knight. I mean, <laughs> and I an like unfortunate tolerance to um, opioids, I guess. Mm. Uh, I got all okay. the, uh, all the side effects sick. from morphine, but I, I didn't feel the pain relief. That's the worst. Oh, god. <laughs> None of the fun
3: stuff. All, None of the all fun the
2: stuff, bit. all the bad stuff.
1: Oh, whoa. Okay. So, Brett, tell me, What comes to mind when you hear the word mental health?
3: That's tough. But uh, for me, I feel like mental health is a journey. um, And it's kind of a journey within yourself. And personally, I'm I'm at the very beginning of that journey. Because I think for a long time in my life, I ran from it and didn't want to be in touch with my feelings and Mm -hmm. what was going inside my head and my heart. So it kind of took some crazy circumstances for me to actually get in touch with myself. And I don't know. I'm excited to finally... Be in a place where I can learn about myself and grow from it. So, yeah, it's a journey.
1: Absolutely. And I'm happy for you.
3: Oh, thank you. Appreciate
2: you, Phil. Appreciate yeah. you.
1: So, what I think about, so my business for the last, well, it's a year and a half old, but even before that, my passion has been around women entrepreneurship and I do a lot of women empowerment stuff. And of course, I love it. And it's it's really Awesome. And I've thought about mental health. I'm a trauma, integrative trauma specialist. I help people heal from trauma. It's been a big part of my healing process. I focus on my mental health. It's I, I know for myself, if I don't have my mental health, I don't really have anything. Um, I focus on my children's mental health. It's I'm important for them. But I've never really thought about men's mental health, right? Because mm-hmm. you guys are knights and you're so strong and you can take on the world um, and what I'm learning more and more is, I, I mean, the mass majority of people who die by suicide is are men, mm-hmm. right? And I think COVID, um, from what I'm seeing, more and more men, either they're realizing they can't run from it anymore or they're beginning to realize, like, hey, I need to really get some help. So for you guys, like, how do you understand when, like, what do you do for your mental health practices? And then how do you, how, what happens in your body? I'm just so curious as not being a man. I'm like, how do you recognize like, Hey, you know, I, maybe I could really be a hermit crab and maybe it's not healthy. Like I Mm -hmm. I need to get out. Like, what do you guys do?
2: One of the things that the reasons why um, it so affects males is that we're taught from a young age to like keep in the feelings, but that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean we don't feel it. Like we, Mm -hmm. we definitely know when something's wrong the hard part is not being able to recognize it. But if you can recognize it, you go, okay, that's, that's not, uh, that's not healthy. Um, Mm -hmm. what can I do to fix that? Like a lot of times, I mean, I myself have been left alone with my thoughts more times than I felt I should. (laughs) And it's like, it takes a while, but a minute goes by and you're like, wait a second. That's not, that's not right. You know, you Mm -hmm. start like, like, Even my character, Eddie, he starts thinking Mm -hmm. thoughts that are nowhere near reality. And if you don't have the strength to tell yourself that and don't have anybody around to say, hey, that's that's not right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's very hard. So um, for me, when these feelings come up, I take a deep breath, try and figure out some way where I can like, okay. This part of life is really stressful right now. I need to take a step back. That's the uh, the introvert in me. I need to mm-hmm. take a step back from it. Um, and I don't mean to push any beliefs on anybody. I personally believe in a higher power. And I, I pray to him and say like, hey, what can I do? And as long as I'm listening, whether it be God or the universe talking to me, something comes up where it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, I get it. That works. And mm. usually it works out. I'm still here. So
1: <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you for sharing
3: that. Yeah, I think a big part of what's changing now is like the stigma around men's mental health. Like we talked about dudes usually are like, hey, we're, we're tough. We don't have to worry about things. We don't have to think about our problems or we just you know brush it off our shoulders. But now I think there's a lot more positive um, reinforcement out there saying like, it's okay for a guy to have feelings. It's okay mm-hmm. for a guy to cry. It's okay to for a guy to not be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, just starting to to hear that more and more has been has been huge.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's another thing that like um I didn't grow up with it myself. I'm not saying anything wrong with my parents, but um the it was a lot of, you know, shake it off type thing. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And a lot of the things I've seen with new parents nowadays is uh making sure like taking a child who's having a tantrum over and say, "Hey, it's okay to have these feelings." Exactly. But we need to find a better way for you to but use But not the in outlet. the
1: grocery store. Yeah. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you need to find a different way to deal with it. Exactly. exactly. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. I think there is a big big shift. um, And I'm so grateful for it. And I know that I'm careful. We have two boys. It's been interesting for me to watch with you, Brett, like you're so careful and so empathetic for them. And yet, like you were struggling yourself.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, it's easier. It's easier to to be empathetic of someone else because you can see it so clearly in front of you and you can relate to them. And for me, it's a lot easier to to solve someone else's problem than to, it's so much scarier to go inside my own soul and be like, what's what's wrong with you? Like, look in the mirror for a second. Can and, you know, confirm. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. It's way easier fixing someone else's problem. So yeah,
1: um, yeah. For sure. So this makes me, I, I just want the audience because Phil, you and I had a chance to talk and we, I got to learn a little bit about your book and, and your character, Edward, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Does he go by Eddie?
2: Hey, he, uh, his friends call him Eddie. Most okay. people call him Edward.
1: Okay. okay. So I'm not You can't call him Eddie. Him. Yeah, you him,
2: can't <laughs> <call> him Eddie. <laughs> You're not a friend. I feel
1: like we're still on Edward, we're but Edward. I want you to talk a little bit about your book and just the, don't give too much away, obviously, but just share about your book and the story um, and how it all came to be.
2: Well, I won't I won't give too much away, but I'll stick around like the the basis of it, Mm -hmm. Um, I guess. Well, a big thing was growing up, I was the fat kid. I know you probably can't see it now, but like— um, No, you look like Fabio right now. Oh, thank <laughs> it's the hair. Yeah. Um, but growing up, I was uh, on the larger side, um, and I was teased in school. Um, it was it was bad, but it wasn't like, you know, com- some people coming to beat me up type of bad. It was all just like verbal abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, when I grew up in a time, it wasn't really social media, so that luckily I didn't get cyberbullied. But uh, the character Edward, he grew up in a time where um, Facebook and Instagram were a thing and he tried it for a little while and he had enough courage to say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. But Mm -hmm. um, he gets teased throughout his life about his weight, uh, mostly through uh, other students, but uh, also through the, he lives in a small town in Georgia and You know, the grown-ups, well-meaning, I'm sure, make comments on his weight, and obviously it doesn't doesn't feel good. Right. And when he turns 18, his mother had already passed away from cancer, and when he turns 18, his dad buys him a really cool car because that's something that they have in common. They all both Mm -hmm. really, really Mm -hmm. like cars. Gets Mm -hmm. him a 1971 Chevy Corvette.
1: (laughs) Which you can see the picture on your Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. Oh,
2: cool. It's a really cool car, and everybody who, like, would not normally say two words to Edwards, like "ah, oh, cool, cool car." Now Edward. he's got the car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. and it is, remember, it's also a very small town, so it's not like a huge population of kids. So a uh, word travels around really quick, and he has three main bullies. That uh, one of them actually used to be his friend growing up, and then they part ways like friends do, and he joins Edward's main bully, uh, Zach. Who it's uh, always Zach. It's, isn't always, it? Zach. it's and, always Zach. And you know that they always have both names. It's never just Zach. It's Zach Rowe or <laughs> Brent uh <laughs> <Quayton> is <laughs> what <laughs> is the character it's in mind. But um they see that uh well when he gets the car, uh, a girl who he's grown up all of his life starts talking to him about it, and, um, not just because of the car, but other stuff that happened. And Zach has a crush on this girl. Mm. And he sees that Edward is finally starting to make something of his life. And he says, you know what? We got to put a stop to this. Yep. Can't have that. Nope, no. can't do it. Actually, the girl, Brittany, she asks him, uh, asks Edward to prom. And like, mm. things oh, wow. are just finally starting to go right for him. And right as he's leaving for prom, Zach and his two cronies pop out of nowhere as he's leaving his house, and mm-hmm. with the intent of tying him up to a tree and leaving him there until after the dance, so that Brittany thinks that she stood her, that he stood her up. Oh no! And Zach plans to sneak in and be like, "Well, you know, I'm here. I can take you know, <laughs> take care of you." But what mm-hmm. happens is Edward gets loose and hops into his car, but Zach starts seeing red, and they chase him down in their car. And Edward is not that experienced of a driver this is his first car he knows how to drive stick but it's not very good at it yet and he in a moment of panic takes a right turn onto an ill-used road and he's just trying to get away from these people and they're just toying with him they have a much better car than he does and they're like come up and they take little bites out of him and then that's when it really starts cementing to edward that things have taken a wide turn (laughs) Eventually, uh, after a while, he loses control. They push him. They force him off the road, and he smashes his car around a tree. And that's not enough. All three of them get out and chase him into the forest. And one of my favorite lines that we've come through with all the editing stuff, um, Edward's just trying to back up, trying to get out. Like, you know, he can't do this to me. Like, people are going to know. What have I ever done to you hmm. to deserve this? And Zach just smiles at him and goes, you exist.
3: Wow. Mm.
2: Wow. And then Edward, trying to preserve his life, keeps backing up. But in one step, he doesn't find the floor. The terrain just, uh, like, slopes out underneath him. He falls into the forest where he gets lost and left for dead by his bullies. And the bullies, they go back into town. Zach's father is a tow truck driver, and he comes back, picks up the car, moves it in a completely opposite direction, recreates the crash, so that when they finally find the car and start a search for it, that uh, Edward's not going to be anywhere near it. Oh, no. And when Edward wakes up, he's disoriented, and he's trying to find his way out, but like he's got a giant gash on his eyebrow and he needs to take care of. He stumbles around the forest, eventually is able to... He stitches up his own eyebrow, is able to make fire, and he finds this one-room cabin out in the middle of nowhere. And he realizes that he, when he was driving, he found his way into the National Park at the top of Georgia. It's the Georgian portion of the Appalachian Mountains. Okay. So he realizes that if he picks the wrong direction, he can walk for thousands of miles as far as me. He's out there. He's out there. Without hitting any source of civilization. So he decides to stay put and he finds the one-room cabin and he's going to stay there for a while. And then he's starving trying to find food once he finally figures it out a fox comes and starts taking from his from his stores and eventually at first it's just that he's getting all these traps and stuff but when he's when edward stops setting traps and just fishing the fox ends ends up coming into his cabin and taking his food from him before mm-hmm. he gets the chance to eat it so um, he can't catch a break right <laughs> And when he finally catches a really good fish, he decides that, you know, the fo- this fox has got to go. And that's his first real victory of like taking out the fox and be like, okay, mm-hmm. I think I can do now this. Now we got some
3: momentum going.
2: But the whole time, I don't know, like human beings are not meant to be in isolation. That's right. not how we're built. 100%. And he's stuck out there with nothing but the thoughts. And remember, he's been bullied all of his life. Uh, like the, he's got... A total of three people he can think of that were nice, him, nice to him throughout his entire life: mm. his dad, his best friend, and Brittany. And even Brittany is like a, a recent addition mm-hmm. to that. So he's out there wondering what's going on, why they're not finding him, and he starts thinking. He's been out there a couple of weeks. He starts thinking, well, maybe I should start trying to find, like, see if I can find a way out. And on his way up the mountain, he's uh, as he's climbing, he sees another fox. He goes, mm. "Well, I." I can't just let this happen again. Let mm-hmm. me see if I can If I can uh, take him out. And he ends up slipping on the slope again and uh, slides partially down the hill and and he hits something that's hard but soft at the same time. And he looks up and he slammed into this giant black bear oh, who um, obviously is startled by his presence and he like tries to get away and ends up falling down the mountain again he gets a couple of slices into him and he's banged up again and it ends up... When he finally makes his way back to his cabin, he can barely, barely move. Luckily, he's stored up a couple of, you know, you know, some food and water so he can be by himself. But as he's recuperating... Time passes and he's realizing that nobody's coming to get him. Hmm. So right. finally, when he gets back onto his feet, he's, fish- he's fishing one day and all these thoughts are just spiraling through his head. Like, you know, people calling him, uh, you know, fat names and like making fun of him, all that. And he starts thinking, why do I want to go back? Hmm. And it's just a thought at first, just like, why? Why, why do I want to go back to all of that? Mm-hmm. And eventually he makes the choice that he wants to stay out there. And he's glad he made that choice, but the thoughts didn't go away. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's still out there all by himself with all these negative thoughts and thinking that because, like, it's been two months at this point and nobody's come to get him. Nobody's been, he hasn't seen hide nor tail of anybody searching for him, not even the sound of a chopper. And he's just wondering what's going on. He starts flirting with the idea of suicide. Mm. He ends up making his uh, a noose at just a thought at first. And then eventually he starts playing what he calls Eddie roulette. And that's where at night throughout the day, he promises to preserve his life in all forms of way, go throughout his chores, get food, water, all that jazz. But at night he puts the noose around his neck and tightens it until he passes out. And if he wakes up the next morning, he does it all over again. And if not, At least his problems are over. And that's his his compromise, making it more fate than suicide. Mm. And this goes on for about another six weeks until one morning, a spark comes out of his stove and lands on the floor and burns a hole in it. And when he puts out the fire, he realizes that the floor is hollow. Mm. He he starts messing around with the boards and an entire trapdoor comes Ah. up out of the floor he goes down there and he sees on, it's like this huge room. Like the, the cabin's like a 10 by 10. Mm-hmm. And the, the room underneath is at least twice as big. And on one wall, there's yes. a whole yes. like side of casks with either a W or a B, or, uh, B on it. He opens up the B one and it's beer. Oh man. And, and he opens <laughs> up the W one and it's a whiskey. Here we go. Then he looks in another corner and there's this whole pile, like this gigantic pile of leather bound books. Like it looked to him, it's a treasure trove, an unending yes. wealth of just like being able to escape. And in the final corner, there's this leather couch with a skeleton just laying on it. And on that couch, in his hand, there's a revolver and there's a hole in the skull of, the, mm. of that skeleton. And he starts thinking, well, how am I supposed to be able to go on? if there's, you know, a tribute to giving up right below me. So Mm -hmm. he takes the, he takes the uh, skeleton up and buries it. Mm. And he just dives into this pile of books. And he loses himself in in the realities of the books. There's like everything that you have up to 1931. And he finds this stack of journals. And it's about, At the time, it was the Bureau of Investigation. It wasn't the FBI yet. This guy who grows up through the ranks and comes really close to J. Edgar Hoover. And at the time, J. Edgar Hoover was hard-pressed to get rid of Henry Dillinger. This is during the times of Prohibition. Mm -hmm. Agent Nell is tasked with taking down one of the other gangs. Things happen with that, and he ends up in fear for his life. After Prohibition ends the gang finds out that the government is buying up a whole bunch of gold and they're going to store it at a fort in Kentucky. And so they're thinking it's a good idea. Hey, we should get some gold too. And when he thinks his coverage is blown and he doesn't want to go and he doesn't trust the government he was working for, he ends up stealing a whole shipment of gold from this uh, notorious gangster and hides out in this little like uh, storage place with all the whiskey and the beer. Cause they don't need it anymore. Then he just hopes that they forgot about yeah. it. Mm. Uh, and then Edward starts looking around. It's like, wait a second. Yeah. and waiting, <laughs> Like maybe I, I I missed it until now. Like there's like this huge stack of gold and he goes through these like so many times, years pass. And finally he goes through the final journal again and he sees two pages stuck together. It says chair. That's not, all it says.
1: You're not about to give away the ending, are you? Ending, are you? No, this, okay. is,
2: this is like <laughs> halfway. This is the first chapter. This is, well, not first chapter, <laughs> but it is like the first half of the book. And uh, finally, uh, like he goes up to his chair, he finds this map. And on one side of it, there's an X. And the other side, it says, Two Road. For a second, he goes like, well, here's a way back to society. He feels like he could have found it if he like, really tried. Yeah. But like again, it's hit or miss. But he sees the sign Two Road. He goes, well, there's, there's a curious thing. Like, if I want to, I can go back. Yep. And then he realizes that's the cave where the bear hangs out. He goes, well, okay, let me, let me go check out the other end. Um, it leads to the swamp. <laughs> he finds the tree with its marker, and he looks down into the swamp. He goes fishing around in there, feels something metal. He goes up, and he get this image of his, in his brain of an armored Studebaker. He can't open it or anything, but it gives him reasons to think, hey, maybe there is gold down there. So on his way back to his cabin, he thinks to himself, well, Here is a way that I can absolutely get back, but I have to deal with the bear. Mm -hmm. Or I could try and find my own way, but that might take forever where I could die in the attempt. Or I could just stay here and wait for death anyway. So he decides.
3: That's life life right (laughs) there.
2: Yeah. And at this point, he's got two things going on in his head. Get food. And one day maybe take out the bullies that put him here. Mm -hmm. And now he figures that he might have the money to be able to do that. So he ends up playing one more game of Eddie Roulette and takes on a bear. There we go. Uh, When he finally gets past said bear, I won't tell you how or why, he makes his way back to the road and stumbles into a a band of car thieves.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, but... And for the rest, you'll have to read. When is your book going to be available?
2: It's going to be available, I think, in a, around January. Okay. Cool. sounds amazing. It's like a movie. Yeah, okay. just, just you telling it. I'm like in. And I'm that's in just a small this portion. World. I mean, one of the biggest things was like uh, when the very first draft was like 160 thousand words. Oh, and so how like, long
3: have you been writing for? Like
2: I've been writing on and off for a few years now, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I didn't really s- sit down and can, like make it a like a thing that I want to go for mm-hmm. until a couple of years ago. Okay. I knew when I when it kind of came out here that I wanted to change that into my profession. Gotcha.
1: So that brings me to my next question. Thank you for sharing that book. I, I'm so interested. In two things that come to mind when you talk, because as you're talking, it's like, these are real people to you, right? You mm-hmm. recall like very specific details and, and, the, and your character development is amazing. Um, but for both of you, two things. One is putting yourself out there in an artistic way is, is an act of vulnerability, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah.
3: oh yes. The <laughs> scariest thing in the world, right? Amen.
1: So, one, I want you to talk to me about your thoughts on that and how you find the courage to do that. And then, two, I'd love to know a little bit about, like, behind the scenes, like, peel back the curtain, like, your creative process for both of you because you both create art in different ways. So, Brett, why don't we start with you?
2: Kay. Yeah. I've definitely been hogging too much here. No. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I want to hear more about this book.
1: I know. <laughs> Well, you can get it in January. I can't wait. It's around there. How many pages? First, how many pages is it going to be?
2: Pages, I think it's going to be around 500, oh, somewhere around there. A, yeah.
1: It's a good size novel. Yeah.
2: It's a good size. It's not too big, but it's not like incredibly short either, which my editor has constantly reminded me of.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So Brett, so tell yes. me, how do you find the courage to put yourself out there?
3: Yeah, that's that's one thing I'm trying to discover right now. It's like the... The biggest hurdle for me because that's that was what's keeping me from kind of living my true authentic self for so long is that i was scared and you know the fear kind of made me run from any part of my creative process or being and i just shut it down to be honest i Mm -hmm. thought you know fear of rejection fear of you know what happens if i put all of myself out there and everyone laughs at me that's such a strong force against the creative process that it stopped me for a decade And now, after everything I've been through recently, I've just kind of looked in the mirror and said, you know, it's time, it's time to share your gift. It's time to accept that you have gifts and, you know, maybe people will like it. Maybe people won't, but at least you can live your, your true authentic self. So Mm -hmm. I think for me, the creative process is just, just expressing yourself and being okay with whatever it puts out. It doesn't have to, you know, get applause at the end. It doesn't have to get likes on social media. It can just be, and it just be an expression of what's inside you.
1: I think that's so beautiful. And I think mm-hmm. when we come from a place of creating because it really is our soul's purpose and, like, that's what we're here to do, it's different than we're doing something. It's like we're doing something for recognition or for—because that's where we can get into trouble, right? Then we're, like, every like, every whatever can— cause, we attach ourselves yeah. worse to and it's that. it's
3: hard because the likes feel good when you get a leg, you're like, oh, someone, serotonin. But at the same time, it's like someone connects with you, you know, and that's part of what you're looking for is like, you know, does anyone else feel this way? Mm-hmm. Um, and just making that connection with another person is a really big part of it. So it's a, it's a balance.
1: Yeah. So, Phil, have you always put yourself out here? I mean, you're a knight.
2: I have. Uh... So, I guess it's kind of like a two-sided coin. Up until I was in high school, I projected putting myself out there. I never actually Mm. did. Mm. And then when I moved into the college level, they basically, one, they were like, everything you've been taught, that's wrong. And and, and it showed me why and how, and I completely agreed. And I started cringing. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had a lot of fun. Like my teacher, she was great and I loved it and she's a great person. But when I look back at the things that I used to do, I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I mean, that's part of the creative process. You got to be able to take the Bad with the good, right. you know mm-hmm. take if and I read something today, like if you look back and don't cringe at the stuff you used to do, that means you're not growing, yeah, absolutely There's no growth a big thing with putting myself out there is like well it it does take a lot of courage, you have to be able to put yourself out there, I mean, for instance, when I finally finished the book it uh you can't give it, i mean you can, but. You can't give it to people you like because they they won't give you, like, a full-on, like, tear Those you things. to shreds. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that they won't tell you, like, well, this is where you should improve. But, like, one of the greatest and hardest things to do is find a professional editor. Oh, my. And I love them to death because they're so free. <laughs> loose. that pill. <laughs> because, like, things, they will nitpick you on the tiniest thing. And I have a process now when it mm-hmm. comes to getting my editing back. Mm-hmm. Like, when it finally gets there, I can't help it. I have to read what they have to say. But I make it a point, don't touch anything until you have time to process oh, it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Don't, That's a good idea. don't just shoot from the hip because you're going to make mistakes. Yep. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to let it wash over you. Mm-hmm. Take a breath. Realize that there isn't malicious intent behind mm-hmm. these um, That's such an comments. such reminder. Oh, I know. <laughs> Um, because every single time I get it back, it's just like, so personal, right? Yeah. Cause this is your baby, right? Yeah. This is something you created mm-hmm. out of thin air. And every time they mark something as like, just needs improvement or just needs like a little nick or this mm-hmm. doesn't match up with this. It's just like, uh-huh. yeah. cause the thought of like one, it didn't work. And two, you have to go back and fix it. It's, it can, oh, yeah. it could seem like, you know, you're coming up, you're, uh, you just got over one mountain and now you're looking at another one. And it's like, when you're, in that crevice, you're like, oh, yeah, I have to do this. And the only way you can get through it is by one step at a time. Yeah. You gotta push yourself. And I'm not saying I love to uh, get these negative notes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love what happens for them because mm-hmm. like that, the um, you exist line, Yeah, it started off as it's more the fact that you exist. And I was like, that's a line from Harry Potter. It's a small <laughs> line from Harry Potter. But it's still a line from Harry Potter. <laughs> and I don't know how many people will get that. If you're a Potter nerd, you will get it. Right. So I was mm-hmm. like, that's, I left it in to see what my editor said. And she changed it to you exist and we're tired of it. And I was like, I don't like that either. Mm-hmm. So I was like, how do I change it? And I just changed it to you exist. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's there it, there it two is. words oh, wow. that express every intent that's that that guy punch. has. Yep. right? Yep.
1: Absolutely. So talk to me because there's two sides, right? Like you're putting yourself out there when you're performing at medieval times Mm -hmm. and you're putting yourself out there as an author. Mm -hmm. And what I imagine is it feels different.
2: Oh yeah. Very different. In fact, if you guys decide to follow me on social media, I posted something right before I came in here for the past 14 years, I have been doing promotional stuff for that company. Like earlier this week, I was on Fox 10 for, um, the, I guess a weather segment that he was just Promoting us, which was really cool. Very nice that's guy. Awesome. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of fun. I got to play with horses and swords. I taught him how to do some stuff. <laughs> Today is the first time that I've ever promoted myself. Mm-hmm. Wow. This, like, all that stuff. That's a character. This this is me. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. uh, the first Can't time. Can't hide I've, behind that character anymore. No. Now. This is the first time I've gone, like, completely public of just me. Right.
1: Wow. How does it feel? It was definitely
2: scary going oh, yeah. into it. Mm-hmm. But, like, oh, you yeah. know, I just... I've gotten to the mindset where, okay, so one of my favorite lines ever was um, a very underrated, yeah, underrated Disney movie, Meet the Robinsons. Oh, that's a good one. Their motto is my absolute favorite. Keep moving forward, which Mm -hmm. is a portion of what Walt Disney said. Mm -hmm. And I thought, to me, that's not good enough. I changed it to keep pushing forward because Mm -hmm. it's not going to be easy just to move. You have to work hard at moving forward it's not it's not an easy process you have to push you have to break through yep.
1: mm-hmm. absolutely 100%. oh sometimes you don't want to like
2: oh, <laughs> it's that looking i was just like oh man i gotta do this
1: and i think that's the difference though it's between like because there you can't get caught up into the negative the toxicity side of that is like no matter what like the hustle you just got to push forward and then you get to burnout. But what you're talking about is when you're true in your passion or your purpose, and you know, like it's going to be a hard mm-hmm. journey, but you're mm-hmm. aligned you to it. Can't let it stop you. Yeah. I think that's that's the important difference. So, so Brett, talk to us a little bit about that about finding your passion or d- rediscovering it. Really, it was a reintroduction. Yeah. And that process.
3: For sure, and I, it's kind of all revolves around what you mentioned just now. A burnout is, you know, I was working in the finance industry for for a decade. And it's something I didn't care about at all. I had no passion for long hours of stuff I didn't care anything about. So I eventually got burnt out. And that kind of caused me to have a little bit of a breakdown. But you know, the silver lining from that is, it made me think about, you know, what do I want with my life? What makes me happy? And what am I passionate about? And that gap got me back to art. Really, Um, I've always been interested in photography and films in music obviously I went to the conservatory of recording arts and sciences so I had that background and I just felt like it was time uh to stop burying it and to actually face it and and be real with what I wanted out of my life and I just got the the courage really to to go back to it and now I'm you know starting over again and kind of hmm. rediscovering my original passions which is really an amazing experience right now
2: Absolutely. Have oh. you ever read uh Terry Goodkind at all? No. Um he does a lot of different things, but there's this uh series that he does called The Sword of Truth and in the second novel he talks about it's it's magic for him, but I think it's a good metaphor for the creative mm. um soul. Yeah. He if you don't learn how to use it, it builds up to mm. a lethal point inside you. Exactly. And oh, um, that happens. Yeah, yeah, that happens for and sure. I, yeah, and it's a perfect example. I mean, like I'm trying to focus on getting this, and I've got like thousands of other stories. Like, hey, we need to be written, and, and, like, and it just forces itself. Yeah, you know? yeah. either that, and, like, and it, either you get it out yourself, or it finds <laughs> another <laughs> way. It finds a way. Yeah, it finds a way for sure.
1: Absolutely, it finds a way, and I think so. I'm, I'm just genuinely curious, Brett, as you're doing this job that you have no passion for. Like, at what point did you realize that? Like. What is that experience like? Is there a voice in your head every single day telling you, or are you able to? Yeah, quiet a little it? bit.
3: I mean, you quiet it for as long as you can, but it's always, it's always there, kind of poking and prodding. Like what's the Edgar Allan Poe with the heartbeat underneath? Tell uh, heart. you yeah. heart. It's like that. Like you try your hardest to to just forget about it. You're like oh, I don't hear anything. I don't hear that heart beating at all. And that's kind of what it was. It's like you just try to. You're honestly like killing yourself day by day. A piece of yourself dies when you're just not paying attention to what you're truly passionate about, mm-hmm. and you can only take it for so long until the, until you you know go crazy. And you know mm-hmm. I did go crazy, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But you know when you can finally sit there, look in the mirror, and say, you know I'm destined for something else. Um, it's really rewarding in
1: the end. Yeah, we need to find a better word than crazy because that doesn't quite describe it.
2: Yeah. But, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with being a little crazy. <laughs> oh no. I walk that line every day.
1: Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like for people who are true really creative, like both of you, and ha- like have an artistic soul, however you want to describe it, like it's that fine line, right? Like because you have to be able to I feel like people like you get access to different parts of your brain. I don't know if that's like really scientifically true, but it feels like there's different place. And so there's like always that balance of like, you know, like in life, light and dark. But you think about the greatest creators on earth, right? They don't have these beautiful rosy lives, right? They usually have something that they're, they're dealing with.
2: Um, Tennessee Williams comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. He's one of the greats.
1: Absolutely. So talk to me both about like, what do you see for your future? What do you, what are your plans? What do you continue? What do you want to continue creating?
3: After you. (laughs) I'm trying to figure that out right now so it's a little it's a little hard to answer but um I just want to be driven by kind of my love of photography uh first and foremost is like my main thing and then getting back to music um playing the guitar again and singing something that I you know buried for a while that I'm slowly getting back into Mm -hmm. and uh from a business perspective um try to use kind of my love of art and my skill there to help, um, companies grow kind of their social media feeds or, you know, marketing and branding, taking pictures for their, their companies and, or making reels on Instagram for them, um, short films and things like that. So that's kind of my goal is to start doing.
1: Yeah. And we have some exciting things, right? Yeah. What's the name of your company?
3: Uh, so Douglas and Douglas Productions is the the media production company I just started, and you can find me on Instagram under Blended Brain Media. So starting that out, and we're moving into the to the offices around here in Max 6 in the fourteen fourteen building. So nice, yeah, super
2: awesome. exciting.
1: So Phil, I hate this question so much, but some version of where do you see yourself in five years? Like, what is your vision for for your future?
2: Well, as i've proved uh, earlier, I can't be a knight forever like mm. i mean i <laughs> i lost a knee i've um i I recently got a nice gash on my eyebrow. I mean, I'm covered in, like, you can feel my right ear. There's a part, there's a seam there where they had to reattach the top of it. (laughs) Yeah, I've got tons of those stories. Um, But um, The night stories. We needed another podcast for the night stories. I have some night questions before we go. (laughs) Sounds good. Um, But, like, obviously I can't be doing that forever. And I feel that writing is my future and i i'm already like i said i'm already got all these stories that are building up in my head like the next one is going to be uh like a wizard of oz meets shutter island and i pitched it i'm in right that's exactly what my editor said she's like i would definitely read that (laughs) i'm like well let's get this out (laughs)
1: stop sending me edits
2: well, no, no, yeah. never stop. You gotta, <laughs> can't stop, won't stop. You know. There we go, there, there we go. go. So um, I, I want to continue with Medieval as as often as I can because like it's it's an absolutely fun job. I love it. And even when I stop nighting, I still like, every once in a while I do the just the, re- the regular talking parts in the show. Mm-hmm. I'm sure many of, People listening here have seen me as the Lord Marshal or the Lord Chancellor. Mm-hmm. Hey, maybe even the Queen one day. Who knows? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Goals. never know. Yeah.
2: Right? I've got the hair. You do. You do have the hair. Oh, thank you. you do have so, the hair.
1: So a couple uh, Medieval Knight questions just because. Shoot. Why not? It's not every day we have you here. So we took our son, right? It was Jack's birthday. Yep. To Medieval Knights. So are you always, do you change colors or do you always have one team?
2: I change colors every show I, I do pretty much every part in the show uh there are a couple of parts that like either I haven't done in a long time or I don't do but those are like I can count those on on one hand okay
1: so every night you're like, a, oh there's multiple shows a night. Yes. And then you're a different color every show.
2: Sometimes. um A lot of times we just like think it's, we find it's easier just to do the same colors for the rest of the day, but it'll be different. It'll be a different position. So like, say I'll be the blue night one show and I'm the bad guy and I could be a blue night the second show, but oh, I'm like right. the one fight die guy.
3: It's like WWE. Uh, you guys plan it out like that. And I,
2: stuff, right? I mean, I mean, sure, it's not planned at all. Hint, hint, <laughs>
3: hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. You're going to get yeah, in I trouble
1: now. It. Because our section when we went with
3: blue, blue night blue night baby so that
1: was fun um, was I there
2: I, I think yeah, you were the I blue mean, night we have to I feel like you were well I mean there are so uh, every once in a you while especially <laughs> no Um, I, I'll be there but I won't be in the show okay. uh, especially like on a Saturday I mean I sometimes I do all three shows on Saturday but they try to give you a show off yeah. just so you can like rest and recoup especially because I'm, I do villain more than anything else because it's my favorite part but it's also the most exhausting part yeah, yeah. was I the villain when you guys came no, oh, uh, blue knight. Uh, One, didn't he a good guy. Uh, yeah. He
1: was a good guy. Yeah. But are the swords real?
2: They are. They are made of pure titanium. Ooh. So that's you really get. cut How hev- how heavy are those? Uh, the Mondo's about eight pounds. Okay. Um, when you first pick it up, you definitely feel, you feel it. But once it. you start swinging it around a lot, it's like it gets a lot easier. I mean, the choreography
3: alone is amazing. Yeah. Like, how do you guys? How long does it take to like set up a show? And do you guys change it up? Uh,
2: we do change it up. Um, it it all depends on how much you know. When you first become a knight, they teach you one fight. And you have to master mm. that fight before you do another fight. Okay. Sometimes your next fight is just the same fight, but the other side of that fight. Gotcha, um, gotcha. And the more you know, uh, you know, the the higher up you are in the rankings.
3: Okay. Mm. Do you have to, like, squire before you become a knight? You do. You do? Um, uh,
2: luckily, I we've been blessed enough to have so many people I haven't had to squire in a while. But yeah. obviously, like, if we need to, I will still squire. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you learn to become a knight, you have to start out as a squire. Yeah. We have this thing called night itis. It's not a thing too bad at our castle. It's a. Uh, I came from the California castle and I've seen some night itis, man. Where people are just like, oh, I. Everyone I, wants I to be the knight, squire. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know, it's beneath them. No, we're we are a team. You These are your somewhere. brothers. You are yeah. going to help them out. Love that. That's awesome.
1: Well, it was an awesome show. My, we all really enjoyed it. My boys loved it. And- oh, yeah. And
2: I went when I
3: first went, I, it was in New York, and I was like five. I just fell, mm-hmm. fell in love instantly. Yeah. Oh, and that was at the Jersey
2: Castle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. go yep. you. Yep.
1: Did you ever go as a child before you started working there?
2: I didn't. I didn't actually know about it until uh, the cable guy, which <laughs> incidentally was filmed at the Buena Park location. Oh, that's where you were? That's where I was. Yeah. Well, I didn't even really know where it was until I was looking for a job when I got into Cal State Fullerton. Wow. And I got actually got in in their sound and lighting department because oh, I had come from, I was, before that, I was the scenic director or the scenic designer and master carpenter of a small theater. Mm. And so I got in as a sound and lighting operator. And first night, they have you watch the show. And I was looking down, I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that good. No and more so lighting.
1: I'm on, yeah. I'm on stage. That's Born awesome. Born to be a night. Mm-hmm. So just we're almost out of time. So in wrapping up, I wanted to ask you guys um, the last question, which is if somebody is on a mental health journey, which I mean, we all are, but is struggling right now, what is one resource or tool or piece of advice you would give them? So Brett, why don't we start with you?
3: I would just say um, find someone, anyone to reach out to and talk to just or just say it out loud at first. What's going on with it? Don't keep it inside. You know, mm. you can't keep it inside. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to someone about your problems, whether it's a friend, you know, probably should be a therapist, but anyone at all, uh, that can listen. Um, that's where it starts is just getting, getting it out there. Don't let it be bottled inside forever because that's where things, you know, go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that's kind of, I feel like underrated and was big for me is, is get sleep, um, get a good amount of sleep mm-hmm. and make sure you're getting, you know, a healthy rest every night because that's one of the things that contributes to a, a, a lot of problems. If you're not sleeping, you, you know, it can really do some messed up things to your brain. So mm-hmm. those are two that are kind of personal to me and that
2: I would recommend.
1: Okay. Thank you.
2: Um, along with that, because that was definitely where the, my mind first went to uh, something that I really wish I could tell Eddie is mm-hmm. don't Listen to the negative thoughts. We all have them. We have a lot of them. That's hard. That's hard not to do. I know. And ninety nine percent of them are not true. Mm -hmm. But like it's hard. And I'm not. In no way am I saying this is easy. It is not easy at all. But you have to work through it. You have to realize that this is not true. Mm -hmm. You have to work past it and realize that you know. Especially if you go to a friend, your friend wants you to succeed. They'll help you realize. Hey. That's not right. Don't listen to that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. yeah. I always think about like, would you say that whatever you're saying to yourself, would you say that to your best friend? Mm. Probably not. So think, yep. talk to yourself the way you would talk to your best friend.
2: Yeah, I like that.
1: All right. So we are wrapping up. Um, but before we go, I want to make sure everyone knows how to get in touch with you. So Brett, how can people find you? And
2: connect uh, best
3: with you? way is probably Instagram. Uh, my ad is blended brain media. So you can find me there. Also, if you want to send me an email, my email is brett at douglasanddouglas.com.
1: With Douglas, the first Douglas.
3: The first Douglas has two S's and the second Douglas
2: has one. So I made it extra confusing for everybody.
1: Good. And how do we buy your book, Phil, and connect with you?
2: Okay, so this is um, kind of early in the journey, and mm-hmm. uh, but I definitely want to start getting the ball rolling. So the best way is to follow me on social media. I have both professional pages and personal pages. Like with Instagram, you just look up Philip LaCroix. That's P-H-I-L-I-P. LaCroix is L-A-C-R-O-I-X. Can't go wrong. You'll find me. Mm-hmm. You can add either one of those and then find the professional version of that on Facebook. And I will, if you send me messages through there, I will do everything I can to respond. Awesome.
1: Awesome. And do you have like an early interest list for your book or?
2: Not yet. That is on the list. Like um, my editors, we've got all these things going on. It's just not quite there yet right now. They're designing the cover and making the the Mm -hmm. inside, like they're choosing what font they want to use, the formatting and stuff. And once that's done, uh, my buddy and I, um, who actually has made two movies, he and his wife, S&S Productions they make uh, they make movies and they had Twice the Dream and Even in Dreams in actual movie theaters wow. and they're going to help wow. me make a, an audiobook. oh awesome oh that's awesome that'll be very good very
1: cool so make sure to follow both of these guys um, for some awesome art and inspiration, and buy Phil's book in January. No ish, January. All right, so. <laughs> <it,
2: laughs> I'll, I'll make, make, it so. I'll make, make it sure so. that yeah, I'll make sure that Shonda knows this. Yes. Like, yes. hey, we've got a deadline yes. It has to happen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank <laughs> you both.
2: into existence. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yes. Thank you both so much yes. for joining yes. me. No, thank
3: you, and thanks to to Daryl and the ones and twos over there.
2: Appreciate yeah. you. Thank you mm-hmm. all. I mean, this is this is a great experience, and I'm I'm glad you guys were my
0: first. Yes, Aww. we did it. You have been listening to the Messy Middle podcast and radio show presented by Mother and Founder Co. We hope you have found a few pieces of wisdom to help you navigate your own messy middle. Be sure to subscribe to the Messy Middle on your favorite podcast platform and follow Jen Burwell and Mother and Founder Co. on Instagram. Remember, beginnings are usually scary and endings can sometimes be sad, but it's the middle that counts the most. Until next time, stay curious, kind, and messy.